There are only a handful of photographers whose work is instantly recognizable, and fewer still who have become a genre unto themselves. I was first introduced to the pictures of Gregory Crudson through a body of work called Beneath the Roses. I felt instantly connected to that world he so meticulously crafted, and I've been a huge admirer of his work ever since. In 2016, I had the opportunity to sit down with Gregory for a conversation about his body of work called Cathedral of the Pines. It was a terrific experience, not just because Gregory is one of my favorite photographers, but because it provided a glimpse behind the curtain to a photographic world that I find both moving and familiar. In 2018, Gregory began making photographs for his newest body of work. An Eclipse of Moths continues his exploration of themes like brokenness and isolation, as well as a profound connection to light and the encroachment of the natural world. To some, that world may seem bleak, especially on first glance, but a deeper look will reveal a narrative that is hopeful and rich with possibility. I'm just as excited to say this now as I was the first time. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is my conversation with Gregory Crudson. Please listen carefully. Thank you for being willing to do this. I, I really can't thank you enough, uh, both for making the time and for allowing us back into this world. What is it about this geography? It seems to be such a part of you. Could these pictures have been made anywhere else? Or do they necessarily have to be part of this place, of this environment? Well, do you think there are photographers or artists in general who respond to particular places for uh, a whole kind of network of reasons, some of them conscious and some of them unconscious. And I definitely identify myself as an artist who works in a certain kind of setting or geography or landscape. Mm -hmm. and, um, rather than other photographers who... Um, you know, work in a much vaster geography or like have a restlessness. I feel like I'm working most efficiently when I'm in one place. Mm -hmm. I rather go deeper rather than wider. Right. And there is a contradiction in the work though, because like in one hand, it's very sp specific. It's very like, I keep working over and over again in this setting because I like the way it looks. But at the same time, I want the locations to feel both, feel like it's, uh, it could be anywhere, mm -hmm. um, any place or anywhere. And there's that, so I, uh, it's, it's a sort of strange contradiction in the work that like, uh, as you were suggesting that there's something that feels familiar, but also um, enchanted or uh, mysterious. Has your connection to the place changed over the years in terms of the aesthetic connection and versus sort of the emotional or, or existential connection? Has that changed since you started photographing there and how? Yeah, with everything changes all the time. 
always, and then everything stays the same. You know, I as my life changes, you know, as I grow older and as, you know, things change in my life, like I moved out of New York some years ago and moved up here, all those change your relationship to the place in one way or another. But the basic job remains the same, you know. The job is to make pictures that have the quality of something that's both beautiful and and uh, and mysterious, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, you hope that, like, with every picture you take, the reasons you're making these pictures become slightly more clarified. But those, you know, it also remains elusive, and that's why you keep doing it. Sure. Yeah, I love the idea of of depth. Um, And you said at one point, and again, I'm sorry, I don't remember where it was, but... It was something to the effect of every artist tells one story or has has one sort of central story to tell. And I, I love that idea. I, I watched a, an interview with Brian Eno, and he said kind of the same thing. He said, I, I think I've only ever had one idea my whole life, and I've just been sort of chasing it and refining it for the last four decades or whatever. And that seems to be how you approach your work as well. Is that is that fair? It's absolutely fair. Yeah, I uh, have said many times before that I do feel that every artist has one central story to tell. And that story usually is uh, emerges when you come of age as Mm. an artist. Um, When you're sort of um, at that intersection of being open to influence and also having that sense of like um, ambition and clarifying in your head, you know, the things you love and the things you hate, the, you know, huge influences that shape you, the movies that you love, the music that you love, the books that you love. There's a there's only a small window when you allow all those things into your life and into your soul. Mm-hmm. And then you spend, I think, the majority of your work in life revolving around those issues and um, redefining them and and questioning them and reinventing them. But, you know, it's a continual circling around the same motifs and preoccupations. You do everything you can do to, like, reinvent them, you know, dramatically change the form of them. But you never quite, you're never really able to get away from yourself. So when you look back at the work you've done, even if it's radically different form, it's still revolving around those same preoccupations that defined you at that certain age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember hearing someone saying that that you will never be as sort of connected to or moved by 
music or film or or experience as you are in that 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 small sort of junior high school high school window when you're trying to figure out who it is you are and what you believe and 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 where where your place in the world is right yeah absolutely it's that like you know you're in one level you're open to it you you're almost vulnerable to influence and then on the other level it's you know it's that like complete like sense of like confidence and verging on arrogance of youth that like you feel like you have a clarity in terms of again the things you love and the things you hate you know and everything in between mm-hmm. don't and then um as you grow older you you just you continue to have an appreciation and love for many things but not in the same way sure you know it's a different relationship to those things and then almost necessarily you have to to sort of protect your particular vision you do have to close down and i think that's also human nature in a way to uh be able to focus on the thing you need to do next at the same time you know you're always looking for outside influence too so it's, there's no absolute equation about how this works are students that you work with are they able to hear this and and young photographers new photographers are are they able to hear that there is so much process to get around it beyond what you do with the camera you know they are now in that place where i was you know so many years ago and mm-hmm. and i think that like what i try to do as a teacher is give them space to find their own particular view of the world you know Mm -hmm. Um, you know i try to offer advice and suggestion and commentary but in the end it's really their job to find that like particular balance of finding their own story and their own form and only they can do that right do you, do you get the sense that they want to tell – how would I say it? Is, it? is it more important to say something unique or to say something important with your work? Well, I think that the only thing you can do as an artist is contribute your own particular view, which is a very complicated brew, really. You know, I always say there, it's like three competing forces coming together when you're making artwork. Let's say photography for the sake of certain kind of clarity. So when you're making pictures, you're always responding to other pictures. So you're always in one way or another referencing the conventions and traditions of the history of the medium, right? Mm -hmm. And what you do often is like you absorb the conventions of things that have influenced you and that shaped you and 
you're attempting to reinvent it in some way. So there's the history of the medium that you're referencing. Then there's like the personal story that you bring to it. Like you have your own set, very unique set of obsessions and fears and desires. You know, all that kind of the murky story of your biography that um, exists in all of us. So that's the second force, I think. And then there's the moment that you live in, you know, there's like the, the culture that you exist in. And if all of those three forces are working in a kind of balance, that is the tradition of the medium, your own particular story, and the relevance of the moment, then your work is operating in a way that's like really at the highest level of what art is meant to be doing, right? Mm. It's communicating in a way that like is honest and truthful to the history of the medium, to your particular view of the world and to the world that it exists in. Do you recognize that more readily in your own work now when it's, when it's happening and when it's not happening? And can you predict it more effectively? Yeah, well, there's, there's, again, the contradiction. It's like something you can't really consciously do. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe that's the fourth part of it. The fourth part of the equation is you really don't have control of any of <laughs> All of this exists <laughs> theoretically. Yeah, but, but very concretely when it happens. Right, you right. Know? So... You know, when I'm making pictures, it's very rare, if ever, that I'm like thinking of other pictures of other artists, mm -hmm. but it's all inside me. Like, I know if I stop to think about it, the reason I use a particular kind of car, it's because I was influenced by, let's say, Stephen Shore or sure. Sternfeld. When I was coming of age, and that's what the cars in their pictures look like. So I, so, but it's not something I like spend too much time thinking about when I'm making a picture, or I'm not saying to myself, oh, I should make this picture like feel particularly voyeuristic or like just like have a sort of strange sense of disease because that's going to reflect my psychology or do i say these pictures need to have like a connection to you know the political moment we're in right you know so you know it's all like working in an undercurrent and like uh it's submerged. But those things are really operating on one level or another. Well, I think that's part of the brilliance of the work, to be honest. I mean, there, there's an enormous amount of ambiguity, yes. But I, f I find myself okay with that. And in fact, I, I welcome that. I don't need the specific answers, at least not from you. I, I think that, that one of the one of the aspects of your work is your generosity with the viewer 
in in crafting that space for the viewer to fill in the blanks. Yeah. For the viewer to fill in what any sort of potential meaning there is to them that exists aside from what the picture may mean to you. And I mean, I was that always the case for you? Were you always comfortable with giving viewers, giving an audience that much space? Was it a conscious decision or is that just how it sort of evolved for you? Well, I think as, as a photographer, you have to be comfortable with it. I mean, that's, a, that's a part of almost the given of the medium hmm. that it's, it's limited and restricted by form, you know, that like, and that's why I, I feel that like the more literal a photograph is in terms of like any kind of narrative or even political uh, messaging or the less effective it is because it's going against its ambiguous nature. Mm. You know, I mean, I am respond to photography precisely because of the fact that it, you know, it never completely unveils itself in terms of its ultimate meaning, you know, um, unlike other narrative forms, of course, precisely because it's a frozen moment and silent that it opens itself up for interpretation and questioning. And so that's part of the medium that I really respond to. And also, of course, make part of the meaning of my pictures mm -hmm. is the open-endedness of it. Do you get any sort of sense on how the pictures are being received now, sort of mid-lockdown, mid-pandemic? People may be coming to your work for the first time, and they're seeing that work th through the lens of lockdown, right? Through the lens of of kind of the world falling apart in a way. Does it take on a different meaning as sort of a reflection of that world or, or vice versa? I mean, yes, absolutely. You know, um, of course, it's completely un, unintended. Sure. You know, we made these, these particular pictures... Um, an eclipse of Mars in the summer of 2018, and I was just attempting to make a series of pictures with a certain parameter, you know, in terms of what I wanted from them. And we could have never imagined that the ultimately would be exhibited and come out into the world in a very dramatically different world that they were made in. Mm -hmm. But like, maybe that's why the pictures, you know, there's nothing, you know, as we were just talking about earlier, there's nothing dramatically new or different about the vision. I mean, there are changes and um there are things I was attempting to do formally in these pictures that I haven't done before, but it's very much coming out of the same place as all the previous pictures. So it's just like everything else, you know, it's taken on new meaning in the, in the circumstance we're in. And, uh, I, of course, I'm 
moved by the fact that like people seem to be responding to them in new ways, you know. Do they still see them as hopeful pictures? Because I know when we spoke last time about Cathedral of the Pines, you were very clear that you saw the work as hopeful. And I, I, I agree with you about that. I think it is hopeful work. But there's an initial kind of knee-jerk reaction, I would imagine, to the world that, that you meticulously sort of craft. But where does this body of work sit relative to that? Do you, do you feel like you're still on kind of a hopeful trajectory with this work in, in, in terms of uh, uh, what it's saying or what, what you want it to say? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's, for me, like, if there wasn't a sense of hope or redemption in the pictures, I wouldn't be interested in making them, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But like in all my pictures, I want to balance or find a kind of exchange between a kind of darkness and dislocation and sense of possibility in, in the pictures. You know, for me, it usually almost always comes the hope comes out of the form of the pictures, you know, the use of light and color and atmosphere that like makes them what they are. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's always, again, it's not something I'm like think too much about, but like, there's always a theme of those of uh, broke. Well, in this particular body of work, there was definitely a theme of brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was just like you know, in terms of what was being photographed, you know, that motif was in many, if not all, the pictures. We're still in the same universe. It feels like even even though these are are unique to this body of work, it still feels like we're sort of chapters in the same narrative because there is a, there is a cohesion between them that I, that I get anyway. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's all part of one world, I think, you know, and I almost see an eclipse of moths as the flip side of of, uh, Cathedral of the Pines, you know, that they're working out, similar themes in almost oppositional ways like an eclipse of moss was like a return to nature they're more intimate there are many interiors there are also a lot of wood scenes and forests and in contrast these pictures are vast and open they're primarily cityscapes or at the edges of cities the figures are small in frame. So there's a very different kind of viewpoint, yet there's definitely continuity there. Mm-hmm. I love the role that nature plays in your work, whether, mm-hmm. whether that's sort of more subtle or, or more overt. There, there's, a, there's an encroaching sort of nature reclaiming the urbanized world feel that, that I find really intriguing that, that yes, there are these sort of dilapidated buildings and there are, uh, man-made machines that are falling into disrepair, but they're surrounded by this beautiful, vibrant, thriving greenery. Yes. Uh, thank you. That, 
definitely was a theme that we I really wanted to run through the pictures. You know, they were made at the height of summer. There's a nature, almost in every picture, kind of impinging on the settings and both providing almost like a sort of a, th- a quiet threat, but also a sense of renewal, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that definitely was, um, for me, part of the meaning of the work. Yeah. I, th- I think for me, it's one of the strongest aspects of the work because, it's, like I said, I grew up in Southern California where you're surrounded by concrete and concrete and more concrete. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to drive to the nature, right? We had to drive to trees, forests, streams. It wasn't around us. And and now having lived on the East Coast for for almost five years, this type of vista is everywhere. And it's it's... I mean, the people that live here sometimes, I think, take it for granted, but I'm in, in awe. Even just driving down the highway, these beautiful trees that, that flank each side of the roadway, we didn't have that growing up. So there is this, even, even in that sort of limited capacity, there is this connection that you feel to, to the natural world. You know, and some of the feelings that I get with, with this body of work is that humans have in some way we're almost returning to these sort of nomadic passing through the world rather than staking a claim and, and, and having any sort of root system or permanence to the world. That's nicely put, you know, that, um, you know, they're definitely wanderers Mm. in the work, you know, they're, um, tend to be smaller in scale and kind of, there's a kind of, dislocation between the scale of the figures and the larger landscape and you know even the title an eclipse of moths is like kind of a metaphor for like it's actually you know i think probably know it's a term meaning uh, a constellation of moths that are attracted to a light source and mm-hmm. i saw these figures you know, being drawn to street lamps and just that, again, that sense of trying to connect with something larger than yourself. Right, right. Can we talk a little bit about the music? Because th- this is such an, uh, a, a, uh, it's such a brilliant value add and, and, and emotional add to, to the work. I, I'm, I'm curious, A, how, how the connection between you and, and Jeff Tweedy happened. Uh, who, who approached whom, or was it sort of mutual admiration? Um, and then, and then I've got a couple things that I'd love to, to touch on with you as well. Well, in, in a very real way, Wilco has been the soundtrack to our making pictures for many, many, many years. Like if I sort of go back to works that we did throughout the years you know there would always be you know playing in either like location scouting or on the sound stage you know albums that just came out or uh so they will go always on was on heavy rotation uh for us and so yeah definitely i was always an enormous fan 
but also felt connected to their, you know, similar ways, that kind of very American sensibility, that interest in beauty and sadness and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then um, Wilco began doing these, um, you know, solid sound festivals at uh, Mass Mocha which was a great coming together because, um, you know, I had my first show there and then I was on the board of Mass Milka and, and uh, so there was that connection. And then um, there was a time where I approached Jeff because we were at the early st- stages of possibly making a movie. Mm-hmm. And I had asked him if he would be interested in, if that went forward of like composing music for it. And um, that's project has not fully resolved itself, but like when this is a very long answer to your question, but when we uh, take as long as you want, I'm loving this. (laughs) (laughs) But like after we made the pictures and then we were trying to figure out, you know, we're dealing with the circumstance of knowing that like there's going to be very few people who are going to be able to see the show in person. You know, it's like every artist in one way or another was like challenged with the idea of like trying to think a little bit outside the box right? in terms of like getting the pictures out into the world. And and how did that part of it feel? Knowing Knowing that the work would you wouldn't have the same kind of uh, in-person reception as as Cathedral of the Pines. Because, I mean, that was, there were a ton of people there. We were there opening night, as you may or may not remember, and it I it do. was packed. I mean, how how does that square releasing this body of work that you've, that you've poured just as much of yourself into to, you know, an all, all but empty gallery yep. space? Well, I mean, that's, you know, every artist, including Jeff Tweedy, I'm sure, you know, who do they have to cancel tours and, you know, have to sort of meet this challenge head on. And the way, you know, I, you know, I still haven't been able to see the actual show in person, you know, and uh, it opened in L.A., many weeks ago and it's about to open in Paris. I will not see either of those shows. That's gotta be strange. I mean, it's gotta be just really surreal not to be able to stand in front of these in, and they're enormous. I mean, these are, correct me if I'm wrong, but these are bigger than much bigger than Cathedral of the Pines, aren't they? They're like four by eight feet. And my uh, God. And, but that's the circumstance of the world. But we're also in this like place now where we can have even a larger audience um, in different ways, mm-hmm. you know. Um, not that it will ever replace the thing itself, because I feel very strongly that the physical picture on a wall is the thing. Sure. You know, it's not an image on a screen. It's not, you know, something that... Uh, it's digestible on Instagram or um, YouTube. But we knew that we'd have to like find ways to find 
that audience outside of the more direct experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I approached Jeff with the idea of creating a, a kind of soundtrack for these pictures, which he immediately agreed to do, uh, and which was a great honor. And, and um, but he just, you know, he sent us a file and, uh, you know, it worked perfectly as I knew it would. Mm-hmm. Did did you know he he told the the story behind the file in in one of the the talks that I saw him give? Did you know the sort of provenance behind how it was written, why it was written, and and was that important in your selection of that particular tune? Uh, I did know it, and it was and it knocked me out. Yeah, this was powerful, and yeah. I was honored that he would consider allowing us to put it here, and and it made perfect sense, mm-hmm. you know. I, had the same similar it came out of a similar kind of wellspring sure um, and uh yeah so that's taken on a life of its own and we really hope to work together in the future sometime it's such a stroke of, of just yeah. genius to add now let me ask you when when you hear that music when you're looking at the work and hearing that music do you hear that as our soundtrack as the viewer or is it the soundtrack of the people inhabiting the world or is it your soundtrack as the creator or something else entirely? I think it's all of the above, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all of, none of it, you know, that like, but it's the soundtrack for that experience of viewing the pictures, you know, and that there are other ways of, viewing them uh yeah here's sort of the interesting contradiction i think and we talked about it a little bit in our in the talk we did um is that the big difference between what he does and what i do is well there are many differences but one is that it's um you know as we talked about the photograph is still mm-hmm and silent and um his work exists in time so i don't think it would have worked if it was just a soundtrack like playing in the gallery or something right right. it's really about the images in that context of almost like the slideshow of the images with that sound that's the thing you know it's the coming together of my images and his music to create this third thing. Right. You know? Right. And then there's this lovely sort of B side to that where you're releasing the individual voiceovers with, you know, yours and Julianne's notes and, and you know, behind the scene. I mean, there's just this, there's so much you you've given us depth in the making of as much as there's depth in the picture. And I think that's a it's such a terrific stroke and and you know, what's how how has the reaction to that been? Have have people really resonated with that? Yeah, it's been great. You know, again, it's not meant to replace the thing itself, but it's something that like uh, we've kind of stumbled upon in the studio where, you know, Julianne writes these descriptions well in advance of making the pictures that are like um, a kind of guidepost for our team and for casting mm-hmm. 
And then uh, again, we were trying just to like figure out additional ways to get, you know, to like continue to have the work exist outside of the gallery. And right. um, but it doesn't feel tacked on. That's the thing. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like. Oh, you know what? Our social media team said we could do this. Like it doesn't. It it feels integral to the work. It feels like it's it's an extension of the experience of seeing the individual pictures, the pictures with the music. It feels like it's part of the same, yeah. you know, experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think of you as this sort of very similar to a musician in that you, you, you go away for a while, you come up with, with, you know, instead of songs, they're pictures, you write, you produce, you record, you, you, you edit and sweeten and, and make them as, as amazing as you possibly can and say exactly what you want to say release them into the world, and then you go away again. Yes. I really believe in going away. I don't think artists go away enough. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that is? Is the pressure to keep yourself out there and relevant? Is that the, the driving force behind why they don't, do you think? I, 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 I don't know. I, I, well, on the other hand, I really admire and like am jealous of artists who you know, can just have a continual output and like shows all over the world. It's got to be exhausting though. Yeah. But, but I, I, I do feel that every art, you know, maybe every artist has their own kind of working process. I feel very much connected to a way of working. That's like a making of a movie, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that under best circumstances, a filmmaker who writes and then, directs and then edits their own films that's like a three-year process at the at the shortest right it's not like they stop working at any part of that and that's like more of my natural kind of working cycle it's also like there are pragmatic reasons like you have to organize the budget and like find ways to like get the money all that stuff is part of it mm-hmm and then there's, you know, so there's the pre-production, there's production, there's post-production, and that takes years. When, when we see a body of work from you, because of all of those things, because of there's so much time and energy that you have to put into previs and props and casting and location and all of that, I would imagine that you don't have any, or maybe not any, but I don't imagine that you have much room for for error in terms of by the time it gets in front of your lens, it's, it's necessarily a keeper because so much pre-production has gone into it. Am I, am I reading that wrong or is that pretty close? Well, there's always like, you know, photography at the end is about editing and, you know, there'll be good pictures. And I mean, we've been fairly lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, we were very lucky in this last group where like we used all 16 of the pictures. Wow. In the end. Wow. Uh, but there have been times when the percentages had, weren't nearly as good. But in the end, either a picture works or it doesn't work. Right. You know? And no amount of post-production can make something what it isn't. Right, right. I had a terrific question from uh, a listener who called in on, on one of the live shows and was asking if... Art, great art has to come out of great struggle. Does, does great art come from great strife? And if we ignore great for a minute, because that's so subjective, 
does struggle inherently produce more compelling art? I think art by its very nature is is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it's, it shouldn't feel easy. I, I don't think, you know, it should represent a struggle on some level. Now, what that struggle is, you know, could be open-ended, but like it's partially because you're impressing something out of the world. Like you're sort of, it's an act of creation and any act of creation in terms of whatever it is, is not easy, you know? And for me, you know, I think like most artists, there's always a relationship between your life and your work and all lives go through like, ups and downs and difficulty and and uh and complication and in one way or another i think art needs to sort of represent that Mm -hmm. are you able to see that when you look at your own work are you able to look back on your work and see sort of where you were in 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 the process in your own journey just based on the work oh absolutely again it's not conscious or never has been directly conscious but for instance when i was making these pictures i wasn't really aware of it at the time but i was going through a series of health issues having like very mysterious symptoms um not sleeping exhausted various other ailments wow are you okay uh yeah well i was it was a real struggle making the pictures and almost directly after i wound up going to a sleep lab and it turns out i had severe uh sleep disorders oh wow and um which has been corrected but you weren't aware of them sort of in in real time no i mean i was aware that i was like falling asleep you know, driving and oh my god, yeah, it was it was not good. Wow. But now I look back at those pictures, and I see it. You know, I see the theme of like brokenness, and like there's you know figures have various ailments, and and you know maybe in some way, you know, they're kind of a reflection of what I was going through. Wow. You know, and again, there's not a direct line, mm-hmm. you know, between this kind of the artist and the, the thing, you know, the artwork. But right. there is always or should be a connection. Um, yeah. Was there a conscious point for you when, when you saw your own work become more personal? Um, or you saw more of you reflect in your work. Maybe that might be a better way to say it. Yeah. I mean, I think that like my pictures are, you know, like if you look at my pictures, you, you probably could, in, in, in almost an ideal circumstance, you know everything and nothing about me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think my pictures are personal in the most direct way. Right. You know, in fact, there's a lot about my pictures that are like intentionally detached, you know, mm-hmm. or removed. 
I always say that like in my pictures, I want the sense of something, a certain kind of detachment coming together with a certain kind of intimacy. Mm -hmm. So you have both things. You have figures and moments of private reflection yet photographed in a way that's like somewhat removed. Right, right. As you go deeper into this world, are you any better at seeing around the corner of what comes next or do you still surprise yourself? Yeah, I never know what comes next. If I knew what would come next, I wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> oh, you come on, you'd still have to do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just starting now to think about the next body of work. And um, so I'm going to be... I'm readying myself to disappear again. If you'd like to see an eclipse of moths or any of Gregory's work, head over to gagosian.com slash artists slash Gregory hyphen Crudson. And I'll include that link in the show notes. I'll also include a link to the video showing all of the work from an eclipse of moths accompanied by music by Jeff Tweedy. You can connect with Gregory on Instagram and Twitter at Crudson Studio, that's C-R-E-W-D-S-O-N-S-T-U-D-I-O. Subscribe to Process Driven in your favorite podcast app. Or if you'd like to get every episode of Process Driven, along with my other shows in between and iterations, subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything. I'm going to be making some changes to the show lineup over the coming weeks, so be sure to subscribe to everything so you don't miss anything. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sidoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysidoris.com. If you've got questions or feedback, email me at talkback at jeffreysidoris.com. You can support the shows by telling a friend or by sharing them on social media. I'll be back in a week or so with another show, and I hope you'll join me. Until then, as always, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for being here. I'll talk to you on the next one.